thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. This morning in Matthew chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to be teachy this morning, so I want you to put on your learner's cap, and let's learn the word of God together. In Matthew 17, 1, the Bible says, six days later, Jesus took Peter and the two others, brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it is wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Jesus is Above All Else. Jesus is Above All Else. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for provision. We thank you for protection. We thank you for this place to gather in your name. God, I pray now as we look to your word that you would be our teacher. God, I ask that you'd anoint me to say things that would honor you. Lord, teach us what you'd have us to know. God, I pray that you'd increase our faith and our love for you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is above all else. Jesus is the most controversial figure that ever lived. I told you if he was on the planet today, he would be ostracized, vilified, condemned as a racist and a bigot. Jesus is not this politically correct figure that Americans want to call Christianity. American political Correctness wants Christianity to be loving, kind, broad, and accepting of everything. Jesus said, if anybody tries to get to heaven any other way through me, they're a thief and a liar and they won't get in. Can you imagine some preacher going on YouTube right now saying, all Muslims are thieves and liars and they will not get to heaven. All Jews are thieves and liars and they will not get to heaven. Everyone following Islam is a thief and a liar, and they will not get... They would be called every manner of racist, bigot, narrow-minded, horrible human cult leader. They would be just vilified. Jesus said, I'm the only way to the Father. Nobody gets to God except through me. That's as narrow-minded as you can get. Now, I'm not saying... I believe Christians should be kind. I believe we should be accepting. I believe we should be loving. I believe we should be tolerant of others who are different from us. But when it comes to how you get to heaven, Jesus is the only way. And we can't be broad-minded about that. Jesus is the only way to heaven. We are reading through Matthew every month. I take on a new book. I read it through as many times as I can. I encourage people to read it with me. Many of our sermons end up coming from the book of the month often throughout the year. And our book of the month this month is Matthew. And I talked to you guys last week a little bit about the Gospels because the Gospels record the life, the history, the way Jesus lived, what life was like on the earth when Jesus was here, his death and his resurrection. And I talked to you about the importance of reading the Gospels. Some people get caught up. Anytime I meet someone who's been saved for less than five years and they tell me, Pastor, I'm studying the book of Daniel. Pastor, I'm studying the book of Ezekiel. Pastor, I'm studying the book of the Revelation. My first thought is, that's a lot of catfish bone to choke on for a child. People want, I've met people who aren't even saved. The number one book studied in the Bible by unsaved people, book of the Revelation. Why? Because there's so many metaphors, there's so many tropes, type similes, there's so much figurative language in there, they can make it say whatever they want it to say, and, it, and they can make it out to be some type of new age horror movie. 
But if you want to stay balanced as a Christian, you need to constantly be going back to the Gospels, constantly revisiting how Jesus lived. The Bible says we have all these stories for our examples so we can know God and know ourselves, so we can know how to live, move, and have our being. But if you want to know more about Jesus, you got to get that from the Gospel. You learn a lot about God in the Old Testament. You learn a lot about God and the church in the New Testament. But if you really want to learn about Jesus, you need to get inside Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. I talked to you, I showed you some charts last week about the Gospels because I've heard people say that the Bible is just some random book written by a bunch of different men. Men wrote the Bible about God. Well, the Bible plainly says that men were moved by God as he spoke to them. They wrote what he said. And I use the same illustration I'll use again today. I'm not asking you to do it, but if I ask Deacon West, take out a pen and write down um, church meets early next Tuesday. And then we posted that on the door, and it said church meets early next Tuesday. And someone said, who wrote that? Well, literally, who wrote that? Deacon West wrote that. But whose words are those? Those would be my words. If God tells somebody to take out a pen and write something down, they may be the pen, but God is the voice behind the pen. Now, God did something inside of Scripture. He used 39 different men to write 66 books of Scripture. Two Testaments, an old and a new, 1,189 chapters, over 31,000 verses, over 700,000 words inside this book. But he didn't dictate to them like I would dictate to Deacon West. He allowed, because he wanted to reach a broad audience, he allowed for some of their personality and some of their viewpoint to come through. And I showed you some things about the four Gospels last week. I'll throw them up on the screen real quick again for uh, review. And for those of y'all who didn't see it, you can see it again. These, see, God wanted the Gospels to reach everybody, so he took four different dudes from four different backgrounds with four different leans and looks. And he took Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, as he writes his gospel, he portrays Christ as the promised king. Mark portrays Christ as the servant of God. Luke portrays Christ as the perfect man. And John portrays Christ as the son of God. And I told you before, if I was to let Angelique come up on stage and give her testimony, and I asked four different people in this audience, now write down a brief synopsis of what you witnessed because the Gospels are the Gospel according to Mark as he witnessed the life of Christ. The Gospel according to Matthew as he witnessed the life of Christ. And so if we had four different people, wave it everybody, Angelique, don't know who, it, 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 people would write different things. Some people would notice her hair. Some people would say something about her smile. Some people would say something about her accent. Some people would say something about the things that she said, the way that she said it. Some people might mention whether or not she was nervous. Some people might mention the length of time she spoke. But if they all were telling the truth, you can tell the truth with your view I tell the truth with my view, both things be true as long as we stick with the truth. Are you following me? These people had different outlooks because they wanted to reach the broadest group. I told you Matthew writes like a teacher because he was. Mark writes like a preacher. Luke writes like a historian. And John writes like a theologian. See, Matthew was an educated man. Matthew was a Jew who loved Jews, wrote to the Jews. Mark was a fireball, and that's why he writes like a preacher. Mark's an action dude. He's, he's, like, he's the man who likes movies for guys who likes movies. Luke was a doctor, so he likes facts and figures. He writes like a historian. John loved Jesus and the Bible, so he writes like a theologian. Matthew's emphasis was on Jesus' sermons because they related to what the Old Testament said, and he was always coming after the Old Testament Jew mindset. Matthew has more Old Testament quotes in it than all three of the other Gospels combined. Mark's emphasis was on Jesus' miracles. Why? Because Mark's a fireball. He's the guy that likes movies for guys who like movies. Luke's emphasis was on Jesus' parables. Why? Because Luke was a doctor. He was the most educated 
of the four, and he liked to be able to use his mind to figure out what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is like a merchant who, who had a fish and a pearl and a sheep and a donkey, and he wanted to figure everything out. So that's the style that he recorded in. John's emphasis was on Jesus' doctrines because John was a Bible man. Matthew wrote to the Jews because he wanted to make sure that the Jewish people understood that Jesus was the Messiah. Mark wrote to the Romans because these were the kind of people he related to. Why? Because Romans were guys who liked movies for guys who liked movies. They, they were fireball action type people. Luke wrote to the Greeks. Why did Luke write to the Greeks? Because the Greeks were the most intellectual society in the history of the world. They valued intellect above everything else. And Luke was the big mind of the four. John wrote to the entire world. Why? Because theology applies to everyone equally. Matthew's theme is Jesus is the Messiah predicted by the Old Testament prophecy. Well, that's going to appeal to the Jewish believers that knew the Old Testament. And they're going to realize, wow, Jesus is who we've been waiting on. Mark's theme is that Jesus backed up his words with action. Why? Because Mark liked movies for guys who like movies. He was about that action. He was about proving that Jesus could do bigger, better, and badder than everybody else. Luke's theme is compassion and the humanity of Jesus. Luke, by trade, was a what? A doctor, a physician. Wouldn't it make sense that a doctor would have compassion and be concerned about humanity? They all saw the same stories, but when they told it, Luke focused more on the humanity of it, the compassion of it. Mark focused more on the boom, bang, bing of it. Matthew focused more on the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy on it. And John focused more on how it all fit together in proper theology. Matthew portrays Christ as the promised king. Mark portrays Christ as the servant of God. Luke portrays Christ as the perfect man. John portrays Christ as the son of God. Jesus is all these things, but you got to understand he's so large, you just can't look at him from one angle. You're not getting me. I want to tell you something. Jesus is different. Jesus is better. The ancients call him holy other, but it would do us well if we started looking at each other with a broader paradigm. Because if you just look at me, wave your hand to everybody, Deacon West. If you just look at Deacon West and I, you, you could look for differences. But there are more similarities in Deacon West and I than there are differences. He's taller than I am, barely. He's balder than I am. By a bunch. All right? He's darker than I am in the pigment, but it's got a heart that loves God just like mine. Okay? So if you just look at somebody through only one lens, you're going to get a very limited view of a person. That's why racism exists. That's why bigotry exists. That's why hatred exists. Because people want to just look and see one thing. God didn't want anybody looking at Jesus and just seeing one thing. That's why he gave us four Gospels and not just the one. So let me wrap, let me pull Matthew out of those charts that I just read to you so you, we can be thinking about Matthew this month. Matthew portrays Christ as the promised king, and he is that. Matthew writes like a teacher, so we should be able to learn a lot from the book of Matthew. Okay, quick question. What's the longest Gospel of all four Gospels. Matthew. Right and wrong. Matthew has more chapters, 28, to Luke, 24. But Luke has more words and more verses. So if you're looking at which is really the longer Gospel, Luke will take you longer to read than Matthew because there are more words in Luke. Shorter chapters, less words in Matthew, but you're right if you said either one. But Matthew's style is of a teacher, 28 long chapters, uh, most chapters of any of the Gospels, but it's very teachy and easy to understand. If you'll read it, you'll learn so much because Jesus promised that if you would seek, you would find. Matthew's emphasis was on Jesus' sermons. Jesus preached 16 recorded sermons in the Bible. Matthew focuses on these sermons, and so you can hear the very words of the Lord more in Matthew's gospel 
than in any other gospel. Matthew wrote to the Jews. There was a prominent people on the planet that day, and Jesus said that he came for the Jew first and also for the Greek. It's important when you read the Bible that you start with the first rule of theological interpretation that all orthodox theologians hold to. You have to understand the Scripture as it was written to whom it was written. you got to understand what it meant to them before you can decide what it means to you. you got to see what was God trying to say to these Jewish people 2,000 years ago because if you just read it and say, well, this is what I think it means, then it's going to mean something to you and something to you and something to you and something to you. But the Bible says no scriptures of any private interpretation. It means the same thing to everybody. So we got to find out what it meant to the person God wrote it to. That's the theological idiom, interpreting scripture as it was written to whom it was written. It's like if you wrote a letter today that was going to be read 2,000 years ago. And you started off, if I was writing a letter to Brother David, and in my letter, of course, we don't do letters now. We do text, and we don't spell words. We put, you know, uh, I mean, how many letters in the word you? Anybody under, anybody under 30, they just want, right? Anybody over 30, which well, common sense, three, right? I mean, so... If, if I'm writing a text or emoticoning a text or, or symbolizing a text to Brother David, I, I could use, I could say random stuff like, what's up, dog? How's it hanging? What's up with your people? 2,000 years ago, if they read, what's up, dog? Why is this man writing to a letter about his dogs? They were, if they tried to understand it as it sounded to them, would they get the same point as it sounds to him? No, they wouldn't. You had to understand it as it was written to whom it was written because they had their own verbiage. They had their own colloquialisms. They had their own styles of speech. They had their own process of language that we need to pay attention to. So we got to understand it as it was written to whom it was written in Matthew Writes like a teacher. He, his emphasis is on sermons. He writes specifically to Jewish people. But we can still learn from that because the promises are to the Jew first but to us as well. And his theme is that Jesus is the Messiah predicted by Old Testament prophecy. If you're talking to an unsaved person and you want to show them that Jesus is the Christ that can save their soul, the gospel is the best place to be. Gospel, book of Acts, book of Romans, perfect place to be. If you're talking to a Jewish person and you want to win them to Christ, the Old Testament is the place, the best place to be. Isaiah specifically prophesies of Jesus. Well, the Old Testament person would come at you and say, yeah, but all you're telling me is about what I already know. What's that got to do with your, with your Jesus and your New Testament? Because they don't receive the New Testament. But if they were to look, put their eyes on the book of Matthew, and see how much of the Old Testament is repeated in the book of Matthew and how much prophecy Jesus fulfilled in the book of Matthew. That's how you speak to uh, your Jewish friends, if you ever get any. Now, you really want to talk about racism. I ain't going to ask how many white people in the room have black friends or how many black people in the room have white friends, and I don't want anybody to raise a hand, but think about how many Orthodox Jewish friends do you have. Now, I'll take a pass. I don't have any, Okay. I tried to meet some one time, and they told, because I want to go to church with some, some Orthodox Jewish people walking down the street in L.A. Pulled up my little rental car next to them. They had on the hats. They had on the weird beards. All of them looked the same. I said, y'all going, y'all going to y'all's temple? He said, yes. Nothing else. A little cold, ain't you? And I'm from the south. We chat a brother up. A little cold. I said, well, what time to start? Where is it? I'd love to join you. He, he broke his stride then. He stopped walking. Because he didn't break stride when he said yes. He broke his stride and stared at me. He said, you cannot come to my temple. There are churches for people like you up the street. See, that's, that's, that's when folk get all indignant. Like, who are you calling you? People like, what? I can't get out of this car fast as I got in it. 
But I don't have a lot of Orthodox Jewish friends. I'm not mad at them. I'd love love to meet some of them. Maybe one day they'll let me go to church with them. But if you ever meet a Jewish person, you want to turn them on to Jesus, and they don't like the New Testament, you get them to read Matthew, and they will see that Jesus is the Messiah predicted by Old Testament prophecy. Let's get into these verses. Matthew 17, 1. I'm just going to go through these verses, pull out some truth, and see if we can learn something today. Six days later, Jesus took Peter... And the two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. Okay, so here we go. Chapter 16 is over. Week after that, Jesus takes three people. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. These people are known as his inner circle. There's one other dude out there named Andrew who made up the four. It was more so the three, but sometimes it was four Four of the 12 were closer to Jesus, more stuff written about Peter, James, John, and Andrew than any of the other 12. I've been asking people for years because we swear we love this book, that this is a book that God gave us for life, that we love Christianity. I've been asking people how many people can name all 12 of the disciples. How many people can say off the top of their head all 12? Thank you, Deacon. He knows I had back surgery. I looked at it, and I was going to pick it up, but I thought, I don't feel that today. It's bad being old and off back surgery, and you can't pick up a napkin. Pray for the preacher. Most people cannot name all 12 of the disciples. Even good Catholic people have forgot. Simon Peter, Andrew, James' brother John, Philip Thomas, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon Judas, and Bartholomew are the 12 disciples. Those are the 12 people that Jesus picked out. When you read the Bible, those names are mentioned a lot. All 12 of them mentioned a lot. But I've taught you guys over the years the law of priority listing, where the first thing mentioned in a list is usually dominant and gets less dominant down the list. Not always, but most of the time. Now, every time in Scripture, when the list of the 12 disciples are mentioned, the first four are always the first four. And the last four are always the last four. It's like a bag of jelly beans. You look on the back of a jag of belly, uh, the back of a jag of belly, bag of jelly beans, a jag of belly jeans. I got my merge wicks. You look on the back of a bag of jelly beans. Try saying that. And you will see the first thing listed is sugar. Why? The law of priority listing. The first four are always the first four. Well, I don't know how Andrew got lost on this field trip, but Jesus takes his inner circle. He takes Peter, he takes James, and he takes John. And, and I like what Charles Spurgeon said. I, I've copied some quotes. I don't normally put these quotes up on the screen, but I copied some quotes from some stuff I read for some ancient theologians. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, Yet these three were very special. Talking about Peter, James, and John. Some say that Peter was one of them because he loved his master so much. That John was another because his master loved him so much. And that James was the third because he was so soon to die. He was the first of the apostles who should become a martyr for the faith of Jesus Christ. So that's probably how Andrew got left out. That makes a lot of sense because there was none of them who claimed to love Jesus as much as Peter did. Peter was the guy who will always, I'll die for you, dude. Don't trust everybody that says they're right or die because they ain't. Uh, and when push came to shove, Peter ran. Take a lesson, all you ride or die believers, keeping it 100 till they stab you in the back. <laughs> Peter loved the Lord, so he got invited. Jesus loved John. John was closer to Jesus than the others. The Bible teaches that. What a cool position to have as John. And James was going to be the first one to die, so Jesus included him. What, what am I trying to get you to see? God does not do random. God, See, people in today's society, society, they do random, especially young people. They do random and think it's funny. They just do some random, wild, crazy, nonsensical thing and just laugh about it. I'm like, why is that funny? Because it's random. Random and stupid. I mean, but okay, God doesn't do random. These three people were there for a very specific person, and I believe that Dr. Spurgeon has it figured out in this quote. But let's keep moving. Verse 2 says, As the men watched, 
Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So here's the deal. Jesus takes his inner circle up onto a mountain and here we see what people call the transfiguration of Christ or the transformation of Christ. His physical nature was turned into something else. He looked one way every time they had seen him. Now all of a sudden, even his clothes, his face, everything is bright, shining. He looks like a completely different person. It's like when one of the Transformers off the Avenger movies comes and, and just peels open and the light just shines out. Oh, a different movie. But anyway, you get the point. He looked different. Say different. And they get to witness this. Peter, James, and John, they're there. They are witnessing this transformation process where Jesus looks totally different. Now, I saw dozens of theologians that made the same point as I studied out this text. And I thought, well, I can kind of go with that. That, that sounds right, since all of them are saying the same thing. Uh, many theologians said that this wasn't the, the big miracle in regard to the appearance of Jesus. Because they saw it as a giant miracle that his glory shone through. Because remember what happened to Moses. When Moses went up on the mountain to get the ten words from God, he came down and they said, put a veil over your face because you're shining. Your, your appearance has been changed. You've been too close to God. It's like you're glowing. We can't even look at you. And Many orthodox theologians declare that the biggest miracle was not that at this moment in front of Peter, James, and John on this high mountain of transfiguration that his glory shone through. The bigger miracle was that for 33 years he kept it clothed and didn't allow it to break through. Y'all not feeling that, but I'm going to keep going. That's good stuff right there for teachy folk. He kept his real appearance hidden for most of the time, but he let it come out here on this mountain verse 3 says suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus all right so here we got Jesus goes up to a high mountain takes his homeboys with him Peter James and John part of the inner circle part of the big three they the big three that's funny hey before Pierce Garnett and Ray Allen there was Peter James and John they he take I know y'all got y'all's own big three it's okay but he takes the big three with him he's up on this mountain he starts glowing he starts shining, and then all of a sudden, boom, boom, here's Moses, and here's Elijah. Pops up on this mountain with them. It's getting a little weird at this point. Most Americans would have left by now. I don't want to make everything about race, but sometimes it's just funny. And when God called you to do something as difficult as pastor a multiracial church, and you live in such a you know, uh, cross-cultural world as I do, Lots of things are funnier to me than they are to you. This may be funny to you. It may not, but I'm going to tell it anyhow because some of y'all need to laugh. I heard a black comedian. I don't know if it was Chris Rock. might have been, uh, been somebody else, but he said that horror movies would not exist if it weren't for white people. <laughs> he said, I'm not kidding you. He said, let me explain it to you. He said, if... if, if, if if you try that in a black community, try a horror movie with black people. First time that dead man stands up by that coffin and starts chopping, all the black people's gone. And the movie's over. Am I right or wrong? All right. I kind of got a feeling. If we're up on this mountain, Jesus like, hey, y'all come with me. Bet, where are we going? Just come on. Okay, he's the boss. He's a leader. Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's up this mountain we go, following this dude to somewhere we don't know. Hi-ho. Get there. Jesus is like, dun-dun-dun! Dude's glowing. Dude is glowing. Black people have already left, but these are Jews, so they're half black, half white, you know, Middle Eastern types. And that's why Jesus didn't take all 12, because he didn't want everybody running. You know, if he had took Nathaniel, 
Nathaniel. Think Jesus didn't have black disciples if you want to. How many, how many white people you ever met named Nathaniel? Let's just keep moving. Nathaniel wasn't staying. So Jesus is glowing. Peter, James, and John are freaking out. This cat is glowing. What are we supposed to do? And then suddenly, what well, suddenly works good in a horror movie. Boom! Everybody jumps. It don't work good in real life often. Let's not freak you out. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah on this mountain, and they're talking with Jesus. Now, I thank God that James and John kept their mouth shut, because what you got to say at this point? You got a glowing dude over here. You got two old dead people standing there talking to him. I don't have a lot to say yet. I mean, because I'm as white as a pillowcase, but I'm looking to run at this point. This is just a little more than what they got up on that morning and bargained for, I'm sure. And Peter, because Peter, man, he is just open mouth, insert foot. This dude is just, he don't care. Peter said, Lord, it is wonderful to be here. It'd be like, you walk into a room, President Obama, whatever the vice president's name is, always putting his foot in his mouth, Uh, Hillary, Donald Trump, all the rest of these people, and you just walk right up into the middle of them. How y'all doing? You probably ain't in that crowd. They'd probably all look at you and like, we're over here and you're over here. We're up here and you're down there. And so, but Peter don't care. Peter's like, I'm on this mountain like y'all. And Peter says, it's awesome to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses. And one for Elijah. Now, Peter's big mistake is he's starstruck. He's starstruck. And it's easy to be starstruck when you let your mind focus on the wrong thing. See, because for Peter, who was born a Jew, who had to memorize the first five books of the Bible before he was 13... All he had heard were the first five books of the Bible. Anybody know who God used to write the first five books of the Bible? Moses. When they talked about the law, they were talking about one man's law, Moses. Moses was boom to to the Jews. He was the dude that wrote the law. The first big time Jew on the planet to them. Well, then there's Elijah. Elijah was the most powerful prophet of them all. And so now here's Peter, the Jewish fisherman, all starstruck. Got the carpenter, you know, probably the Messiah in his mind. We're still waiting. But then there's Moses and Elijah. What? This, I mean, this is the trifecta now. Let's build some tents and hang out up here. I got some questions for all three of y'all. I, I want everybody on this mountain to stay. He's trying to lock them in and stay so he could have a audience with them he said man let me make y'all some shelters one one for Jesus one for Moses one for Elijah because even though he does list them in the right order he lists Jesus first but you got to be careful when you put anybody close to Jesus in your mind Mm. you got to be close he's got Moses and Elijah on such a pedestal Not so wrongly so, because Moses and Elijah are large and in charge. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 36. Somebody came and tried to trick him, and the the ruler said, Teacher, talking to Jesus, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Because this is what they read, the Old Testament law of Moses. In verse 37, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This is what Jesus was teaching. Because all that had been taught prior to Jesus was Old Testament. All that had been taught prior to Jesus was that Messiah was coming. That the Savior would come. Well, now Jesus is here. And he's telling them, I'm showing you a new way. The law said this, but I'm telling you this. He didn't contradict the law. He expanded on the law. 
He fulfilled the law, and he showed it in greater detail. He said all the law and all the prophets are based on these two commandments. The law is everything that had ever been written about God. The prophets was everything that had ever been said about God. So Jesus said when you love God and you love people, you've done it all. You've accomplished all the law and all the prophets. Because in the Jews' mind, those were the two things that were in charge. The law and the prophets. And the law was represented by one man. Let me find Bible geniuses. The one man that represented the law in the Old Testament, his first name started with M and ended with Moses. His name was what? All right. The guy that represented all the prophets in the Bible, I'm not even going to help you. His name was what? So here's Moses and Elijah. On the same ground as Jesus. Okay, now Moses has been dead for 1,400 years. Elijah's been dead for 900 years. And here they are. And here's Jesus. And Peter saw very little distinction between the value in Jesus and in Moses and in Elijah. And most church members don't put the distinction in the right place. Most church members have their pastor on too high of a pedestal. That's why when you ask them what they believe about the Bible, they ever say, well, pastor said, or mama said, or granddaddy told me, you got to know God for yourself. Nobody on a pedestal but Jesus. Only Jesus is worthy of glory, honor, praise. And worship. And and Peter, he didn't have that right because this appealed to his brand of religion. Because he was a Jew and he loved him some Moses. He was a he was a fiery Jew and he loved him some Elijah. Remember what Peter do when the Roman soldiers came to get Jesus and, and, and everybody else standing there freaking out? Peter drew a sword back and cut off the high priest servant's ear. Peter was about that action. He loved him some Elijah. Peter was a Jew. He loved him some Moses, and it was fitting his religion. I've been trying to tell you for years, one of the biggest problems Western civilized American churches have is trying to make God fit their version of what God should be. Go to all white, sedity, upper-class, denominational churches. Everybody got on suits and ties. I ain't mad at suits and ties. Wear one if you got one. Don't if you don't. I always said, I don't care what you wear. Just don't come naked. Be a distraction. You go to one of these high-dollar, upper-class, denominate, go to some Episcopalian church. I ain't mad at them. But go there, you will see quietness. You, you won't see drums and, and rock guitars. You, you won't see keyboards getting banged out with Madonna mics on. You, you will see church bells being played. And you, you will hear great teaching in about this volume as we examine the reality of the love of God. Nothing wrong with that. That's just how they do what they do. They sit there with pen and paper, and they take notes. If the only reason somebody ever raises a hand ain't a hand, it's a finger, because they're ducking out, and they don't want anybody to think that they're rude. So they, they try to make God who they want God to be. They want God to be some upper middle class God of the white people who values intelligence. All right, now you switch it. You go to the other side of the tracks. They made them tracks for a reason. That thing is so real. Get outside of Jacksonville and cross a railroad track. You'd be like, whoo, we'd have made it to the other side of the tracks now. Go on over here, get you in some good 42-member Kojic church where real praise and worship going on for about two and a half hours, tambourine banging, five-year-old working the drum set like a grown man, everybody hollering, sweat dripping, preacher towel over his shoulder, ain't the Lord all right? Ain't the Lord all right? I saw the Lord, he heard my cry, sent his son Jesus to live and die. Hallelujah. Bless his name. Ain't he all right? 
message is going to be no justice, no peace. We're going to burn this town down. Didn't God set things in order? Didn't Jesus say, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword? <laughs> Pastor Nathaniel said, sword. Ah, it's a sword. But we're trying to make God fit into who we want him to be. That's why rich people think that God likes rich people. That's why poor people think that God likes poor people. That's why rich people think God wants to bless businesses. And poor people think God concerned with social justice. I'm trying to tell you God is big enough to have all that in his mind at one time. And he, he, we, we can't figure him out. But he is all right. Moses represented the law, Elijah the prophets, Jesus was the Messiah. Peter had them all on equal ground, and that's the mistake that he made. We got to make sure we don't put anything on equal ground with Christ. Not your race, not your money, your education, your politics, not your sports fanaticism, not your love for family, not your love for fame, not your prowess in your position. We can't put anything on equal footing with Christ. One thing I already told you, Moses had already died 1,400 years ago. Elijah had died 900 years ago. But check this out. They were alive in some sort of resurrected body. How did Peter know that it was Moses? Okay, this, this, this is 2,000 years ago. They didn't have video. Okay. There were, there were no smartphones. He, he didn't have some HD, PXY, ZLTMG, 1280, 1091 picture of Moses on his wall. Elijah's been dead 900 years. He didn't have any pictures of him either. But it was Moses and it was in Elijah, and they were in some type of body. I'll give you another quote I read this week studying for this scripture that I believe that scripture teaches out from uh, Charles Spurgeon. Saints, they were long departed but still alive, live still in their own personality and are known by their names and enjoy near access to Christ. Guess what's happened to people who are already in heaven? What do you think they call Abraham in heaven? Call him Abraham. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says that in heaven you'll be known as you are known. What they call Moses 1,400 years after he died, what they still call him Moses? Moses. What are they calling Elijah? Elijah. Here's something if you don't get nothing out of this message. Anybody, anybody know anybody that you care about that you believe is in heaven? Anybody? Give, give me a name of somebody that's in heaven that you care about. What's your mother's name? Stella. You know what they're calling Stella in heaven? You know what she's going to well, you know what you, you ain't going to call her Stella. She slapped you with the glasses off your face. Mom's going to be mom in heaven. Stella's going to be Stella in heaven. The people who have gone on before, you're going to recognize them. You think that this dude, Peter, called off Moses and Elijah by name? And he never ate no meal with them? And you're not going to recognize grandmama them when you get to heaven? They're still going to be grandmama when you get to heaven. The Bible says the blessed hope is that we're going to get to heaven and be united with Christ and everybody who's gone on before us. I don't have time to keep breaking this down. There's so much theology in this. Moses died but ended up with Jesus. All right? Study the life of Moses. Moses died outside the promised land. He ended up with Jesus. Elijah did not die. Elijah was caught up. People say, by a chariot. No, by a wind that looked like a chariot. Read the Bible. And Elijah was taken up into heaven. Do you know? There's two options for everybody in this room right now. But the good news is the same for both of them. Moses died, ended up with Jesus. Elijah did not die, ended up with Jesus. Everybody in this room is going to face one of those two fates that's Christian. 
Some people have already died. The good news, for if you love them, they're in heaven with Jesus. That ought to make you glad. I, I tell my kids, we're going to see mom again one day. And I believe that with my whole heart. This is the teaching of the scripture. Moses died and he ended up in heaven with Jesus. Elijah didn't die. He was up and ended up with Jesus. Whether you go by way of the rapture or whether you go by way of the grave, if you believe in God and his son Jesus Christ, I want you to know one day you're going to stand flat-footed side by side with Jesus and people whose name that you know, and you're going to be glad that you're there. Verse 5 says, but even as he spoke, as, Peter, as Peter's saying, man, let me build three tents. This is awesome. It's good to be here with y'all. I need to build three tents. I'm going to build a Jesus tent, a Moses tent, an Elijah tent. We're going to hang out up here. Y'all are rock stars. Y'all, I, I, I'm starstruck. Let me, let me do this for y'all. Even as he's saying that, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Who brings me great joy? Listen to him. Now, if you're not real wordy, if you're not real teaching-oriented, if you don't have a big learning cap on, if you haven't read a lot of Bible or literature in your life, uh, if you're not thinking real clear, if you're just trying to stay awake till I shut up, you might not get the fact that Peter just got told. <laughs> Peter just got told hard. Peter just got rebuked from God. The voice speaking is obviously the father because he said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now we talk a lot about abundant life, about principles of how to understand the Bible. One of those principles is inference because lots are, is said, but some things are inferred. If two people are talking and, I, and I'm like, this the one I'm telling you, to listen to, what can you do to the other one that's talking? You ain't got to listen to them. Why? Because that's not where the relevance is. Peter had his eyes on too much. He had his eyes on his Messiah. He had his eyes on his race. And he had his eyes on his religion. And this is the same problem that the world has in 2016. Even people that name the name of Christ, that say they have their eyes on Jesus, too many of them have their eyes on their race, and too many of them have their eyes on their religion. You're not better than any other Christian because you're Baptist. Pentecostal, Church of God, Church of God in Christ, Church of God by faith. Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Presbyterian. 75 different versions of Baptist. Southern Baptist, Independent Baptist, Primitive Baptist, General Baptist, General Baptist Convention, Texas Baptist. Texans started their own Baptist movement. How about that? Well, you want to talk about segregation. Texans don't play. Now, they want their own country. They want their own Baptists. Let, uh, let me keep moving. He had his eyes on not just Jesus, but celebrities. Inside his own race. And we could talk about that if we had time and honesty. You, you, you want to find out? We, we could go down this road right now and if people be honest enough. I just ask you who your favorite football player is. Who your favorite baseball player is. Who your favorite basketball player is. All right, I'll just break it down real quick so I can get out of here. Because y'all get nervous when I start talking truth. In the 80s, basketball was saved by two people. Basketball was averaging less than 3,000 people per game in attendance. Two dudes hit the scene. One came out of Indiana. The other one came out of Michigan. Anybody know who they are? One name for, for each. Each gets one name. Bird and Magic. Bird ended up playing for what team? Magic ended up playing for what team? Does it surprise you that the majority of people that were Laker fans that were following Magic were white plumbers and, and, and no, they weren't. You know who everybody's favorite, all the white people's favorite player was? Bird. So much so that Isaiah Thomas had to come out and, and say if he was black, nobody even know his name. Well, his statistics, he top 
30 in almost every category, so that might not be true. But this is a problem. People celebritize those who they associate with. These were celebrities from Peter's race that he identified with. Let me tell you something. If you got Beyonce on a pedestal, or if you got Tim McGraw on a pedestal, I don't know any other names to quote on either side of that coin because I don't listen to neither genre of that music. I would, I would ask some of y'all to help me out, but I don't want to expose you, especially if I like you. But people celebritize those that they associate with, and that's just part of being a human being. He was so excited to see some famous Jews up there with Jesus. Made him feel good as a Jew. That's part of human being. I mean, Jake had a teacher. I don't know, was she a substitute teacher? My, my, what did she say? My people? My country? Bahamas. She sees something fight in front of Bahamas. She, she acted like God was in the room. She was so excited. But it's just normal. Okay? But it's not what God wants us to do. God doesn't want us to put anybody on the same level with Jesus or anything. Not our celebrity favorites. Not people who connect to our social platform. Not people who connect to our political platform. Listen, these people going to war over Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton? Are you for real? You give me five minutes to talk to you about either one of them, and I can leave you saying I wouldn't vote for either one of them with a gun to my head. Oh, but not, and, and then, you know, everybody in here right now who's on that Trump train, they're like, well, you're just too stupid to know. Donald Trump is a save America, and Donald Trump is racist. And, and the people against that Trump train are like, he's a racist and a bigot. He's a homophobe and a xenophobe, to which I'd like you to spell xenophobe. But, <laughs> and then people want to get up there, and, well, Hillary, Hillary kill, killed all those people in Benghazi. And how many people died in Benghazi? I don't know. Where is Benghazi? I don't know, but she killed them all. Seven million emails. She let, she, how many? Seven million? And, and you, we're at war over people we don't even believe in. And they don't have no answer for us. I promise you this. I make this my pledge. Shoot me dead. Fire me as the pastor of your church if this don't come true. If Donald Trump wins or if Hillary Clinton wins, your life is not going to change significantly at all. That's a fact. They ain't coming to Jacksonville. They might come to Jacksonville a little bit. Now all the women, all the feminazis like, my life's going to change because I'm going to have a woman as a president. And that's going to change your check by how much? They're going to do what to your rent based on that? Light bill comes due. Uh, ring, ring. Clay Electric, you don't know? Hillary's president. I'm a woman. Click. Same thing happened to President Obama. How much your light bill change? It did. Hey, ring, ring. Uh, J-E-A? Yo, what up, man? Nathaniel here. <laughs> Off Avenue B. You know. You know how we do. We do it big. Yeah, been working at AC. Boiling crabs. Got to keep it fresh. But uh, it's a black man in the White House, so you take that bill. And, you know. <laughs> President Obama got elected. People of color are still paying light bills. If a woman gets elected, women, what do y'all call yourself? Women, (laughs) y'all still going to be paying light bills. Donald Trump gets elected, the whole world's going to blow up and Jesus is going to come back. (laughs) Hallelujah. See, that's what's going on. That's just what time it is. Like, is he for Hillary or is he for Donald? (laughs) I'm for Jesus. And I ain't putting nobody on a mountain with Jesus. Nobody. Peter got rebuked. God said, put your eyes on my son. That's the one that pleases me. That's the one that I'm in love with. Put your eyes on my son and listen to him. They're so busy listening to the prophets, so busy listening to, to the law, they weren't taking time to listen to Jesus. Don't get so caught up in your church world that you stop hearing from God. Don't get so caught up in your religious trappings that you stop 
digging in this book to hear what God has to say to you. There are people who would claim themselves to be highly religious and good Christians that haven't read their Bible in three days. If you go three days without food and water, your system will shut down in the natural. Three days without water, 21 days without food. You get an electrolyte imbalance that will cause organs to start shutting down. That's medical fact. Three days without water, 21 days without food. You go three days without Bible and say, but I love the Lord. Something's wrong. We're not hearing who God told us to hear. A lot of them on the mountain. Only one of them is worth listening to. Verse 6, the disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. God just wanted them to know. Jesus is bigger. He's better than the law. He's better than the prophets. He's better than your image of what religion is. Verse 7 says, then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. I love this part about Jesus. Dude just got whooped by a big voice. Now, I don't know if God sounds like James Earl Jones, but that's where I got my money. Y'all ever hear James Earl Jones talk like God? Do that Shamu thing at SeaWorld? This dude got a voice on him. I'm telling you, I don't know if God really sounds like James Earl Jones, Morgan Freeman. Why they can't put a white guy on a voice? I don't, let's keep moving. But I don't know what his voice sounds like. But you hear a big voice out of heaven correcting you? You know you're in trouble. Well, first thing, even, even a dog is smart enough. You, you put some bass on him. Both my kids, I, I put a bait or a look on them. They, bow, they, they get small. God put a voice on Peter. You're wrong for that. Jesus is my son who I love. You listen to him. So he's all been rebuked, got his feelings hurt. What did Jesus do? Jesus comes along, and he touches him. He says, get up and don't be afraid. No matter how much hurt you go through in life, Church, outside of church, because of God, away from God. If you will have a heart toward Jesus, no matter how much trouble you get in, no matter how much embarrassment you suffer, no matter how much pain you go through, no matter how much travail you have to travel over, Jesus will be there to comfort you. And you need to understand that. He wants to touch you, and he wants to comfort you. Even when you're being rebuked by the Father, Jesus knows if you love him, and he'll come to you, and he'll touch you, and he'll tell you, you don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. You messed up. God caught you, but I got you. If you know you're riding Jesus' coattails anyway, you ought to know Jesus has me. Even when I mess up, even when I'm rebuked of God, Jesus will come and hold me and touch me, and he will make it better. Verse 8, last verse, when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. That's where I want us to be. If every Christian in America stopped defending their political position on social media and started broadcasting Jesus, we would crash social media. If every Christian that claims the name of Jesus would stop putting videos up that back their position while offending others and we just all put up stuff that was kind and positive and loving and Jesus-centered, we would crash social media. If all we saw was Jesus, it wouldn't matter. I told y'all, if you look at me and Deacon West, some of y'all see different. My kids look at me and him and they see the same because since they've been born, they've been together. They've been friends. They've eaten food. 
our houses. They've spent the night together. They've known that man's close to my dad. He's family to us. He's the same as we are. See, because when you look at somebody, if you see Jesus, that's all you see. But if you look at me and you see me as white, you look at me and you hear me as southern, you look at me and you try to make assumptions about me, you don't know me. Not like that. People look at you and they make assumptions about you. Now, listen, I ain't saying give them, give them am, ammunition. I mean, pull your pants up, all right? <laughs> we got a sagging problem in America. But listen, you shouldn't be judging somebody by the way they look. Okay, we got three black men on the front row. Bald, bald, and good hair. <laughs> now, he's happy about it, but that don't make him better. We got khakis, shorts, and a suit. He's still happy about it, but it don't make him better. You look at somebody walking down the road, you see them as red, yellow, black, white. You try to figure out in your mind, oh, cornrow. Wonder what I should think about that. Picked out hair. Wonder what I should think about that. Got an American flag on their shirt. What should I think about? I had, oh, I didn't have my son. Jake had a group a black kid stopped him the other day in school and asked him, how can you wear a flag on your shirt of a country that enslaved all my people? Oakley Junior High School. Not a great situation to be in unless you've been raised by me and you're quick on your feet. He said, how can you keep living inside a country that enslaved all your people? And they all, whatever, and <laughs> we'll mess with you. You look at what somebody's wearing, you make assessment on them. You look at how their hair is, you make assessment on them. You look at the skin color, you make assessment on them. You look at what they drive, you make assessment on them. We need to get everything gone to where we only see Jesus. Because Jesus lives inside of his children, young and old, red, yellow, black, and white, rich and poor, educated and uneducated, cornrows, bald-headed, tattooed and pierced. Jesus loves all his children. And we need to get to the place where we see only Jesus. Because if we're going to keep looking, well, they're not the same political as I am. They don't have the same social justice platform as I do. They don't care as much about the hurting as I do. They don't preach as hard as I do. They don't have as much scripture memorized as I do. I've been trying to tell people for a long time, stop thinking that what you do for the Lord is more valuable than what others do for the Lord. You just do you and let them do them. Only Jesus remains. God sets Jesus above the law, above the prophets. He's not just a better lawgiver or a better prophet. He's God's dearly beloved son. Last quote I'm going to read to you from Spurgeon because I just in, I was, he was in my neck all week. This would do us well if we could understand it and live it. It was tr trouble for him then. It's trouble for us now. At this day, my brethren, we have no master but Christ. We submit ourselves to no vicar of God. We bow down ourselves before no great leader of a sect, neither to Calvin nor to Arminius, to Wesley or Whitfield. One is our master, and that one is enough. For we have learned to see the wisdom of God and the power of God in Jesus only. I hope you are Jesus only. It ain't about the preacher. It ain't about the denomination. It ain't about the church. It ain't about the pope. It ain't about no apostle, no prophet, no bishop. The only one we bow down to is Jesus. Because he alone is enough. He alone is who God has commanded us to listen to. 
So Jesus is above everything that you feel is important. Peter idolized Moses and Elijah, so God taught him a lesson. What's important to you? What's important to you? What, 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 what's right up there with, polit- with religion to you? What's right up there with Jesus to you? I don't love nothing more than Jesus. You had not read your Bible for 30 minutes in five years, but you can sit down and watch back-to-back football games for seven hours. You haven't prayed for 10 minutes in as long as you can remember, but you can get on the phone and talk to your girlfriend for 35 minutes. I could have said three and a half hours. We got to elevate Jesus to the place where he is above all else, where only he remains. Last verse, and I probably will close every message this month with this last verse. Because it's the big verse out of Matthew. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live right. And he'll give you everything you need. The reason why people are so amped up about this election is because they want what they want. They want their need to be met. They want someone representing them and their interest. They want somebody to make change for them. They want things to go good. They have needs that they feel like will be met that way. That's why people turn to drugs. That's why people turn to alcohol, pills, sex, pornography, immorality, whoring, chasing, scheming, scamming, tripping, dipping, dodging. That's why people do all sorts of ill things because they feel like it's going to scratch their itch. If you put God above everything, he'll give you everything you need. Most of us give God what's left over. And we don't get everything we need when we treat God that way. But when we put God first, he gives us everything we need. So if there's anything that you need that you're not getting, put God higher in your life. And let him prove that he keeps his word and he will give you everything you need. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would help us to exalt the name of Jesus higher than race, higher than politics, higher than sports, higher than family, higher than friendship, higher than our concepts of right and wrong, higher than our concepts of religion, higher than our concepts of morality. God, I pray that you would help us to exalt Jesus to truly be the name above all names in our life. Lord, I thank you for each person who is here. I pray that you would reveal yourself, God, for those who are unsaved. I pray you'd pour your love out on them. For those who are saved but struggling, God, I pray that you would increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.